then, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy, and they are true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Hey, can we just give the Lord uh, just a round of applause? Amen. So we, uh, I am incredibly grateful that you're here, that you've taken the time to be with us. And uh, we don't just welcome you here on the Wills Point campus, but uh, we have people that are joining us uh, all across the world online, and we are uh, appreciative of them and the time they're taking to spend with us over the next handful of uh, minutes, as well as those that are joining us on the Edgewood campus. Uh, it's always a joy to have them uh, joining with us as well. And uh, today we're continuing a series uh, called Signs as we take a systematic approach and a look through the book of Revelation. Uh, for some of you that you have been here the last handful of weeks, you are already kind of just like waving your hands and going, I have no idea what it is you're talking about. Uh, and uh, it's kind of been a challenge for you. Well, I'll tell you that, listen, it's going to get more challenging, okay? Um, and so encourage you to plug in. If you can't be here in person, join us online. And here's why. I would suppose to say that it may be another two decades before we take our entire church through the book of Revelation. So literally, it could be another 15 or 20 years before we work through our Bibles all the way back to this book. And so just encourage you to take some notes now, uh, to dive in with us, pay attention. If you've missed a couple of weeks, uh, go back, join us online. All of our resources are available uh, on our website, which is stonepointchurch.com uh, forward slash resources, or you can just go to the resource tab and find them there. But we would love for you to hang out with us uh, as we think about that. Now, as we approach Revelation 5, I think there's an important question that's going to be answered when you get to Revelation 5. I don't know about you, but have you ever asked the question, God, if you're so good, then why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? 
God, if you are so holy and, and you are so perfect, then why is it that this world is such a mess? And why is it that there are so many evil people that get away with things? Why is it that the good farmer never gets rain? Why is it the evil farmer, his crops look bountiful and beautiful, and it always seems that he gets rain? And here's why. It's because God is infinitely and perfectly good, and he's good now, and he's always good. But one day he will finally punish evil. One day he will finally make every wrong right. And he will take and he will show himself totally and fully. And he will judge with impartiality. He will judge with totality. And there will not be one thing that you think God has never vindicated that he will not vindicate. And that's to come. And so if you're here in the day and age and you go, I just don't know that I can believe in a God that allows so much evil and suffering and so much sin and nobody ever gets punished and our judicial system is all wrong. Well, I just tell you that there is a judge who is perfect and one day he'll make it all right. Until then, we have to trust him. Until then, we have to be patient and know that he'll one day take care of everything and he'll punish all evil in the world with totality. It's to come. Matter of fact, when you get to Revelation 5, you know that process is beginning. You got me? And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, let me just give you a quick reminder. Revelation chapter 1, we went through a few weeks ago. Uh, is a, a, a vision of what John sees about heaven. Uh, Revelation 2 and 3 are the warning to seven churches in which Pastor Brian talked about a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we talked about Revelation chapter 4, which is John being caught up. He sees heaven. He sees the throne. He sees the glorious wonder of the throne. He sees four angelic beings that have eyes all around them, which give us the indication of their ability to see and discern and know things uh, that we may not see and know and discern. Uh, without God in our lives, uh, we saw 24 thrones, which also uh, was possessed by 24 elders. All of them worship God. They say, worthy is the lamb who's slain. Worthy is the one who was and is and is to come. And then you bring in to Revelation chapter 5. And Revelation chapter 5 is just a continuation of chapter 4. But what happens is, is as you see all of this praise that is surrounding the throne of God, then you see something else that transpires. And in verse one, you see the beginning of that. John says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So here, here it is. John in chapter four is caught up. He sees heaven. I personally believe and talked about last week. I think that's the picture of what you would call the rapture of the church, which means those who know God will no longer be on this earth, but God will call them up to him. And that will begin a process. And that process will also be where Jesus, in a sense, uh, is, is here in Revelation 5, uh, around the throne. And he's around the throne. And uh, what's happening is, is on this throne, there is one who in the right hand has a, a scroll covered on the front and the back, and it's sealed with seven seals. Okay. And so the one who has the uh, the scroll is, is God. In, in his right hand, as he's seated on the throne, there is this scroll. Now, what's interesting about an, a, a scroll, say in the Old Testament, uh, 
whether it was a uh, book of Isaiah or whether it was a uh, something else that was being passed around the New Testament church, what you would have is you would have uh, this scroll that was uh, letters written on uh, papyrus or, or something similar to that, and they would literally hold it with one hand and they would roll it out with the other and they would begin to read its words. But all the words were on the front. There was nothing on the back and they would literally just roll it out and they would read it. And as they read that, then everybody hears and they understand and they discern. Well, on this scroll, John sees it and he says, there is writing and it's not just on the front, but it's within, it's on the back. It seems to be overflowing with words, but he can't read it, but he sees that it's with what? Seven seals. So it's, it's wrapped up and then it has seven seals across it. And the reason that you would have seals, regardless of uh, whether it's in Revelation chapter five or any time in your Bible, you would have a scroll that was sealed is to make sure that the messenger didn't tamper with what was being delivered. So it's always nice to be a recipient of a letter from someone that you know that the messenger hadn't opened. Got it? Uh, don't you love it? Like you, you got a little kid, they turn five, they get a piece of mail. It's never a delight for them when their parents open their mail. Got me? Like your kids are just sitting there and they're waiting and they're like, oh, it's a birthday card. It's something. And then don't you just crush them when you're like, hold on, let me check it out. Like they want to open it, right? I mean, everybody's excited for, for mail until you get into your 20s and 30s and it's bills. <laughs> But here it is. I mean, you've got this scroll. It's sealed up. It's got words on both sides. And it's the idea that this scroll is unique. It's not like any other scroll that's ever been handed down through history. It's sealed. And not only is it sealed, but what seems to be on this scroll is of vital importance. And it's something that no one can see or discern or understand. It's highly unusual. Then in verse 2, it says, And then I saw a mighty angel. So he sees one on the throne, which is God, and his right hand is the scroll. It's got words on front and back. It's sealed with seven seals. And then a strong or a mighty angel proclaims with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So the idea is, is who is going to open this thing? Who is it that's going to 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 see what's on the inside. And then there's a response. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. Do you see that? Look at that. So you've got a mighty angel proclaiming, hey, who's going to do that? And then it's, there's no one. There's no one in heaven. There's no angel in heaven that can open it. There's no one on earth. There's no person that is worthy to open it. There is no one under the earth. There is no demonic spirit. There is no one that can open this, whether it be in heaven or earth or under the earth, that was able to open this scroll or look, look at the very last phrase of that, or to even look into it. So not only is there no one that has the power to open it, there's no one to even, you can't even behold it. You can't even look into it at all. You don't have the power. You don't have the authority to do so. And then look at John's response. John in verse four begins to weep and well. The idea there is loudly like a little five-year-old that didn't get to open their mail. He begins to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So here it is. You've got this incredible scroll in the right hand of God. It's covered with words. It's sealed, and no one has the authority to look at it or to open it. And John begins to weep. And he begins to, 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 in a sense, well loudly. And I think here's why. Because if you, if you take a couple of things from the Old Testament, I think this scroll 
There's a picture of all of God's judgments of the earth. It's the title deed of, of essence of the world. So for instance, when that, when that scroll is finally opened, it means that God is going to begin to reveal himself and all of his power and all of his splendor and all of his wonder and all of his judgments. And there is no one that can open that, no one that can look onto it. And until that thing is open, we are asking the question, will God ever deal with all of the evil and suffering in the world? And the answer is yes, but not yet. And so what do we do? We live with patient endurance. Uh, Paul would continually say, hey, live with patience. The word is a hupomone. It's a patient endurance. It's a steadfastness. We continue to live until the day that God finally vindicates his purposes. But until then, no one is worthy to open it. And then one of the elders, remember in chapter four, you saw 24 thrones, 24 elders. One of the elders, they say, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and his seven seals. Praise God. So, I mean, think about this. John sees the throne. He sees one sitting on the throne. He sees a scroll in his right hand. He sees it with words on the front and the back and all over it. He sees seven seals. He goes, hey, there's no one on, in heaven or earth or below the earth that has the ability to do this John begins to cry, and then one of the elders finally says, no, 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 wait, don't cry, don't cry, there is one. You got a strong angel making the proclamation, I don't know who's going to do this, and you got one of the elders who has experienced grace and peace and mercy and provision, who is adorned with one of the crowns, why? Because he is a suffering saint who has lived for God, and he goes, no, 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 there is one. And here's why, because there is one who saved me, redeemed me, gave me the opportunity to sit on one of these 24 Thrones, who has made me an elder of God, who I rule and reign with him. I know him. I know what he's done. Behold, weep no more, because the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Who is that, my friends? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And, and here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't just make an appearance on the cross. Jesus has always been and always will be. He was the one who was and is and is to come. He has always been. He wasn't a created being. He's not just a good guy. Jesus is God fully, completely. John chapter one, verse one and following. But not only that, what's interesting is, is that he is also called in Genesis chapter 49, the one who would be to come. Matter of fact, if you'll look with Genesis uh, 49, if you have your Bibles, you can flip there, but you don't have to. Just make a little note in uh, the book of Revelation to go back and check out Genesis chapter 49. But in Genesis chapter 49, you have this proclamation to the nations, uh, uh, the nation of Israel, but also the tribes, the 12 tribes. And one of the proclamations was Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10. And what it simply says is a proclamation to Judah, which is one of the tribes. And it says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's a cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The idea is, is, uh, is out of the 12 tribes, Judah is going to be a tribe that has great glory and splendor. All the other tribes eventually are going to bow down to him. It's going to be like a lion's cub. He's going to be a prey. Uh, he is going to be one that people are going to stoop down and crouch down. Hey, who wants to rouse the king of Judah? 
That's the idea. Then verse 10, it says, The scepter, meaning the, uh, the power of the law, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until a tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Who is that? So here's the promise. There was a Davidic promise to David. David, there's always going to be a one that's going to rule on the throne of Judah and who's always going to come from the seat and the rule of David, a Davidic king. Matter of fact, in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, we talked about in verse two a couple of weeks ago. In verse one, it says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots that shall bear fruit. So here's what it's talking about. Revelation five, this elder says, hey, don't you remember? The one who is worthy was the one who is to come. He is the prince of Judah. He is the one who will sit on the Davidic throne forever. He is the one who is conquered. He is the one that came from the stump or the root of Jesse. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 5 again, here's what it says. And one of the elders said, weep no more, okay, So here it is. We're going to put it for you up here on verse 5, okay? Weep no more. Why? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. You know who that is? That's Jesus, proclaimed all the way from the very first book of your Bible, proclaimed by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus would ever come as the incarnate word, born in Bethlehem. All of that being proclaimed, here it is. He is the king. Should you pay attention to him? Yes, he is worthy. He has conquered sin, death, and the grave, 1 Corinthians 15. He is worthy to open the scroll, to read it, and to break the seals. Y'all got this? So here it is. No one in heaven and earth is able to do that except for one. His name is what? Jesus. Okay, let me just, I know it's really tough, really tough, you know, and y'all are used to Sunday school answers, okay? So here we go. There's only one. His name is what? Jesus. Jesus is the only one, Philippians 2. Because Jesus died in glad submission, because he became obedient to death, death on the cross, it pleased God to give full authority over to his son. And Jesus has full authority, not just to overcome death and sin in the grave, but ultimately one day to vindicate all of God's purposes, to punish evil and to come back for his people and to make every wrong right and ultimately settle the score and to say, hey, let me show you who the real king is. And there's a lot of people that live here on earth and they go, you know what? I don't really believe in God. One day they'll see him face to face. And listen, they will not meet him as a lamb, but as a conquering lion. And so as John looks he hears this elder say, now here's one who was conquered. He's like a lion. He is the one who's from the root of David. And so can you imagine being John? I mean, you, you're caught up. You see this glorious splendor of the throne, chapter four. Then you're looking, you see the seal. You're wondering who's going to open it. You hear that there is one who's worthy to open it. He's a lion from the tribe of Judah. And what are you looking for? You're looking for this incredible, powerful being, this one that's like a lion. And he begins to look. And so as he's looking, look at verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb. Hold on, what? Think about it just a second. He's looking for a lion. And as he begins to look between the throne, he sees the four angelic beings. And then he sees a what? A lamb. A lamb. That's what he sees as though it had been slain with seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent to all the earth. So here's the idea. He begins to look for this powerful lion, and what he gets is a lamb that was slain. See, here's what's interesting. What's interesting is is that that's how you want to see God. 
You want to see God not as a conquering king and as a lion. You don't want to see him in his judicial purposes. That's not how you want to see God. You want to see God as a lamb that was slain. And that's how John sees him. Uh, He also sees uh, what seems to be seven horns and seven eyes, all exhibiting the seven spirits of God, which are sent into the earth. Now, we have seen this three times already, the idea of the seven spirits of God. And what that is, I think, is a really good picture of Isaiah, not just 11.1, which we just read, but 11.2, which give you the seven characteristics of the spirit of God. So the seven characteristics make one spirit. So you have Father, you have Son, and you have Holy Spirit, in which the Holy Spirit gives attributes. There are seven of them, which seem to be a picture of what uh, John is talking about. The seven horns of the seven eyes. The seven horns mean power. The seven eyes seem to be a spirit of understanding. It's what the Spirit does. He indwells people with power and understanding. The reason that we live our lives for God is because the Spirit dwells in us. But what's interesting is, is you don't just have us living for the Spirit. Like you think about the Spirit, you go, oh, okay, the Spirit lives in us. Oh, brother, man, you're really praising God in the Spirit, whatever you want to call that, okay? The bottom line is the Spirit's not just to inhabit people. It's not just to live and dwell in us, but the Spirit gives understanding. And it also works in perfect and glad submission to the Father and to the Son. You remember Jesus saying, hey, it's best that I go away, that a more suitable helper, the Holy Spirit, would come and dwell you. Uh, In Acts chapter 17, Paul says, hey, we don't live in a temple built by human hands, but the Spirit of God lives in us. We are the church. The Spirit lives in us. But do you realize that Jesus also submitted to the Spirit? Matter of fact, uh, in you would see in Acts chapter 16, as Paul and they were going on missionary journeys, they came into Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. It said the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. The idea is that the Spirit worked in glad submission, and Jesus said the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, meaning the believer. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to who? Christ. That's the idea. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, there's a prophecy, and here's what it says. Zechariah prophesying about a day to come. Whoever despised the day of the small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. There are seven, uh, these are the seven eyes of the Lord which reign throughout the whole earth. You remember Job and that encounter? And, and, and in a sense, Satan accuses God because hey, there's not a single person on this planet that would love you if you took away all the things that you give them. Why would they love a God who didn't give them anything? And and then you saw that the Spirit of God began to roam to and fro. That's the idea. The Spirit of God and its understanding moves to and fro with power, with splendor, with glory, with excellency, with understanding. That's who the Spirit is. And it just is a perfect representation of the Trinity of God. You got God the Father in all its power and all its glory. You got God the Son, who's the creator of all things, who is the recreator of our hearts and sin problems that have been broken. He is the one who died, who overcame sin, death, and the grave. And you've got the Spirit who indwells those who will follow him and helps us to live in glad submission to a God who loves us. Is that clear? That's a lot of info, right? But here's the deal. You can get caught up. You go, okay, seven eyes, seven horns, seven spirits. But the most important thing of all this chapter is in the very first part of chapter 6. And it is the reason, the reason that we praise God. And we're about to shout, praise him. You ready? Hey, Edgewood Campus, you ready? Here's why. Look at this. And between the throne, underline those words, and between the throne. That is the most important part of this entire chapter, and between the throne. Because here's what I want you to realize. There is a throne in heaven. God sits on it. He is perfect. He is just. He has never sinned. No sin will ever enter his presence. Let me just tell you about you. You are wicked. 
You're evil. You're a sinner. Like, no, I'm really not that bad. Okay, hold on. You're just comparing yourself to me, okay? If you compare yourself to me, you're not that bad, okay? I know I'm worse. Compare yourself to the one who sits on the throne who's never sinned, who's perfect in every way. Can I just give you a quick, helpful hint? You don't compare. He is perfect. He is holy. He is just. He is worthy. He has never made a wrong decision. He has never done anything that's not right. You have gone, God, I can't believe that you would do this. Listen, when you said that, you sinned against God because God has never done anything to you that was not perfectly just and right because he is perfect, he is holy, and he never makes mistakes. He's never made one, not in creation, not in his death, not in his substitution atonement for you, and nothing has he ever made a mistake. He is perfect. You, on the other hand, are not perfect. We say foolish things. We beckon the door of God and we go, God, how could you? And we flip him off and we go, what are you thinking? And listen, he goes, who are you? And yet David goes, oh God, who are we that you would be mindful of us? And you know how he's most mindful of you? Not in creation. He is most mindful of you as he laid his life down in in a place of sin and torment and shame, the most vile and punishable death in all of your Bible is not that of Haman when he uh, did something against Mordecai. It's not when he was hung on his own gallow that he made. That's not the most vile and crazy death. The most vile and crazy death is not the one of a guy who uh, has a little boy named David who slings a stone and it hits a big old Philistine in the head and he drops to the ground. You go, oh man, and then he saws his head off. That's not the most vile. The most vile death in all your Bible is the one that Isaiah 53 talks about and is the one about Jesus who was perfect in every way, who had never sinned. And yet God was pleased to stricken, to punish, to put a rod in his back, to kill him, to make him suffer in agony on a cross at the hands of wicked men, though he was innocent for you, a wicked and vile person. That's the worst death in your Bible. And it pleased God to do that as a lamb that was slain. Why? So that he would stand between God and you. You got that? You got God's throne. We don't get anywhere close to it. And then Jesus goes, no, I'll stand in the gap. I will make a way, and he is our mediator. He is our high priest. He is the one who takes a sinner and sets him free and allows us to look on the things of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Like that's who he is, and that's what Revelation 5 does. It helps us see the throne room because Jesus stands in between the throne. Verse 7 says, and he went and he took the scroll. Hold up, hold up, what? He went and he took the scroll. Like who has the audacity to approach the throne of God and just rip something out of his hand? Not you. Jesus. See, that, that just shows that Jesus wasn't a created being. He is the very essence of God. He works in glad submission to the Father. Oh God, if there be any other way that this cup could pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus lays his life down. And because of that, Philippians 2, he has full authority even to go to the right hand of the Father and take that scroll out of God's hand. And as he does that, he takes that scroll. He acts not just as a slain lamb, but as a judicial lamb or a lion, as a judicial lion. So a slain lamb can act as a judicial lion. He has full authority to do whatever he wants. And so he grabs that scroll, 
Verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now catch this, a couple of really cool things here. Check this out. If you grew up in a church and you, you were like, man, I really don't like people praising God and being all charismatic, okay? Listen, let me explain something real quick. Do you just see what happened? They dropped down and they praised God. Now, you might have also grew up in church, and you're like, man, we don't have instruments because there's no instruments except in the Old Testament. After the Old Testament, there's no instruments. Hold on. Revelation is in the New Testament, and if I just read that correctly, it says, and there are what? Holding a harp. That would mean there's instruments. Right? Just checking, because there's a lot of people confused in their Bibles that there's no instruments in the New Testament. I just read it. And then there's golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of saints. Now you go, okay, golden bowls, incense. Well, incense has always been a popular thing with God. Always was, even in the tabernacle, as incense would rise to the, to the throne. Even in the temple, as incense would rise to God. Well, listen, incense is still rising to God. And here's what it is. It is the prayers of the saints. So think about this for just a second. Do you remember the question I started with today? What was the question? The question was, God, will you ever deal with evil and suffering in the world? Have you ever just said, God, I am so tired of seeing all of this on the, the news. I'm so tired of living in an evil world. I'm so, I'm so tired of all this. God, would you just come? Would you just make things right? Hey, God, would you just smite my neighbor because I really don't like him? I and mean, whatever your prayers are, right? You know what I'm talking about? That is a prayer that is rising to God. And it's a prayer that, in a sense, is being held in a golden bowl full of incense. It's a golden bowl, and it's like the aroma out of that bowl is just a reminder to God that, listen, I have not forgot my purposes and my declarations to people. I will one day judge, and I hear every prayer. But has God answered every prayer in terms of the vindication of purposes? And the answer is no. There are a lot of people uh, that from 9-11 on, have been praying that our nation would be vindicated, that people would be punished for the evil that's been done in this world. Let me just take you back, kind of an old school story. There's a guy in Acts chapter 7, his name was Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death, and he was a martyr, one of the first martyrs in the early Christian church. Matter of fact, there's a guy named Paul who we hail as one of the great believers and the saints of God who actually signed off on Stephen's death. He was an evil, wicked, vile man who punished people because they believed in Jesus. And so here it is, Stephen, literally stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. And can you imagine being Stephen's family? Could you imagine praying and going, God, would you just vindicate your purpose? God, how would you take a man who was like Stephen, who was worthy of respect, who loved you and who served you, and you would just let him die at the hands of evil men? And God, what are you going to do? And listen, for 2,000 years, people have been Asking God to vindicate the purposes of just Acts chapter 7. God, would you just make Stephen's death right? And for 2,000 years, it's just been waiting. And listen, all of those are just being collected in golden bowls of incense, just an aroma rising to God in the throne, just reminding God. Not that he needs a reminder, but just, just shows, hey, listen, I haven't forgot about the evil, and I will judge it. There is going to be one who is going to open the, the seven seals. And when he does, it's going to kick into motion the glory, the power, the splendor, and the judgment of God. Amen? It's coming. It's not now. It's not on your timing. 
It's not your way. That's why you and I are called to forgive people because it's not your right or my right to try to vindicate our own purposes. It's not eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. What it is is, God, I'm going to trust you. Even though I don't care what this guy did to me, this, it's hurt me, it's, it's scarred me for life, I can't let go of it. Yes, you can. Why? Because one day God will hear your prayers. He will sense the aroma of your prayers as it sits in a bowl rising of incense. And one day he'll take the very hurt that you have experienced and he'll make it right. And it's not going to be on your timing. It may not even be in your lifetime, but one day the throne will behold your, your hearing and he'll make it right on your behalf. That's the God we serve. And so I hope that that's an encouragement to you. And then it says, and then they sang a new song, saying, okay, hold on, they sang a new song, okay? A lot of times you go, okay, man, I'm like, is that all they're going to do in heaven? Is like, we're just going to go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? That is what they're doing right now. Got me? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay, now some of you, you write... Stupid stuff on a communication card. Can I just say that? Is that okay? <laughs> and what you do is you say, man, I, this isn't the song I'd like or whatever. But listen, can I just help you see something real quick? If all you get is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you realize that worship's never for you? It's never about you. Ever. Nowhere in your Bible is the worship about me or my preferences. Ever. Ever. It's always about the one who is worthy of worship. And if the only song we ever sang was to join a heavenly chorus that's taking place right now, it is one bland thing. And it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Over and over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. Every now and then, maybe they're like, hey, dude, you think you could like remix it? Just like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, something. I mean, do something. Like, let's change it up a little. And listen, it pleases God in all of his glory to hear the angelic host just say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Guys, the church today is not about you and your preferences. It is not about you. It's not about me. Listen, can I just tell you that the, the most vile, evil, and possibly the most stupid person in this room is me? Can I just tell you that one that's prone to get caught up in his own ego and his own preferences would be me? But can y'all just remind me when you see that in me that go, hey, just, would you just remind yourself, Brandon, that this whole thing's not about you? Can you just remind yourself that it's about the one who is worthy of our praise. It's the one who's worthy to be sung to. And, and can we just say, like, if, if you were just to strip it all away, that at the end of the day, if all we had was just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that it would really be enough. It'd be enough. And that's what they sang. And then there came a new song. What? A new song? I don't know about you, but I bet there's some rejoicing going on. We're like, oh my gosh, they introduced a new song. Like for some of us, we're complaining, oh, another new song. I just want to sing some of the old ones. They get a new song. And here's the new song. It's a reminder of Jeremiah 31. You remember God makes a new covenant with his people? He goes, behold, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give you a shed blood. It's going to be a new purpose. Jeremiah 31, 31. And the new days are coming, declares the Lord. Well, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. 
That's what's a reminder of. Jesus is going to be in our place. He's going to stand in the gap for us. He's going to be our high priest. He's going to be our mediator. He's going to be the one in between the throne room for us. And they sing a new song. And the new song simply goes like this. Worthy are you, which means Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. There's the price of your redemption. And by your blood, you ransom people to God. So there's the payment of redemption. So you got the price who is slain. The blood is the payment of it. You ransom people for God. That's the purpose of redemption. For every tribe and language and people and nation, that's the scope of redemption. It's available for everybody. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. That's the death of redemption. And he shall reign on the earth. That's the result of the redemption. One day we will rule and reign with Christ because of the crucifixion, because of the justice of God, we inherit his salvation. Amen and amen. And they sing a new song and they just go, God, you are worthy. Oh, Lord, Lamb, you are worthy to be because you were slain. Your blood is a payment for people. It's every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. What has he done for us? He has made us a kingdom of priests. He's made us the church, the hands and feet. Do you know why we just call you to more than just sitting here? It's because of what he has done. He has done more for us than for us just to sit here and go, oh, that was a pretty good message. Man, can y'all believe that he called somebody stupid? <laughs> I get that's the talk today around the table, man, we've missed it. No worthy is the lamb. Then verse 11, I looked and I heard around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, the voice, the meaning, the angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. There's a ton of them. With a loud voice, they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Do you see all the things that definitively define what it is that Jesus can and should receive? He should receive all of the power and the wealth and the wisdom and the might and the honor and the glory and the blessing that God has and all the people of the earth have for him. All of eternity is not about you. It's not about what heaven is gonna be for you and me. All of eternity in heaven and glory is about him who was slain, who is worthy to receive all these things from us. And it pleases God to give it to him. And yet he still calls us a kingdom of priests and people who will rule and reign with him. And yes, heaven is going to be more than just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you realize that? And so in your timeline, that's what we're waiting for. And then in verse um, 13, it says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas and all that is them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And that's what's happening right now in heaven. Elders and angels are, are worshiping and you know what they're waiting on? They're waiting for the, the lamb who was slain to take the seal and the scroll from God and to open it up and to kick judgment into motion. You know what we do until then? We wait patiently. Hupomone, patient endurance. We encourage one another, Hebrews 10, 25, spur each other on towards love and good deeds as we await for the approaching of our king. He is coming. He is gonna receive us to himself. He's gonna kick all of the punishment deserved in this world into motion. Until then, we wait. And we live for him as the bride of Christ, fine linen, white and clean. Amen? And so you know what today is? It is an encouragement to you to go and make a difference in this world. Man, if you're going to call yourself the church, 
If you're going to affiliate yourself with some place, man, don't forget who the king is. It's not you. You are not the queen of your domain. If you are, you will meet the lion of the tribe of Judah and you will not enjoy the lamb who was slain and pierced for your sake. I encourage you, wouldn't you rather meet him as a lamb? You know, they seem a whole lot more mild than a lion from the tribe of Judah. And so may your hearts be encouraged. May you know that all sheep are truly stupid and I am the most stupid one here. Praise God that he changed my heart and praise God that he gives me instruction by his spirit through his grace to shepherd people like you. Amen. Amen. Let's praise God. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the grace that we have received from your son. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are worthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God, help us to live for you. Help fathers to serve others today. Help us to remind ourselves of the glorious splendor of your throne and the access that we have because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. Help us, God, to leave this place and to be who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.